The people of Israel returned from exile. They rebuilt the temple and held a huge worship service. Here's Trent Griffith. Now the young men, they see this and they think this is awesome. They're going through the motions, they're singing the songs. But the old men knew the glory was gone. Listen, if you have ever seen the glory, you will never be content to live without it. And if you've ever seen the glory, you know when it's gone. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. When you read through the Bible, you begin to notice some recurring themes. These are threads that weave their way through many of the stories in the Old Testament and then find their fulfillment in the New Testament. This summer on Resonate, Pastor Trent has been showing us that the Bible has one main narrative. That's why the series we're in is called Epic. We're going to hear the conclusion of the message he started last week, but first, let's review some of the highlights from the entire Epic series. Back in May, Pastor Trent began showing us one of those important threads of Scripture. He told us about when God first made His promise to humans. Here's Trent Griffith to explain. If you're a descendant from Adam, your family forfeited the blessing and they got the curse. The Bible should have ended in Genesis chapter 3. Your Bible should be three pages long. Human history should have been three pages long because God said, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And they did begin to die. Dying in the Bible is not the cessation of life. Dying in the Bible is the separation of God from man. You lose the blessing, you inherit the curse, and ever since then, we've all lived under the curse. Bible should have ended, but it didn't. God went to work in order to redeem them, in order to restore the blessing. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, one of the most significant verses in the Bible, it says this, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That happened on the cross. Everybody agree that Jesus suffered some painful things on the cross? God compared that to somebody bruising your heel you'll recover. It's going to be okay. And Jesus did recover. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And do you know what he did? In rising from the dead, he whacked sin in the head. He killed sin. He crushed it. He put his heel right on top of the head of sin and he bruised the head of sin even though it cost him the bruising of his heel. That is called the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel. The first time we see the mention of the gospel is in Genesis 3.15. And so that begins the story of redemption. It was the first promise in the Bible. 
A key recipient of the promise of God was a man named Abram, later known as Abraham. In a powerful scene, Abraham's prayer for the city of Sodom is a picture of Christ who intercedes for us. Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Interesting. It's like, let's just assume for a moment that we could find 50 righteous citizens of Sodom. He realizes the wheels are turning in his head. And he realizes if something doesn't happen, the righteous are going to be treated as if they were wicked. They're going to die even though they're not guilty because they'll be treated as the wicked, assuming there are righteous in the city. Do you know what Abraham does? He begins to reverse the logic and he begins to wonder. I wonder if God would treat the wicked in that city as the righteous. And he begins to haggle with God the way you haggle at a yard sale. God treated Jesus as if he had committed the the sin of Sodom so that he could treat those of us who still live in Sodom as if We were as righteous as that one man. Well, that's Pastor Trent Griffith from Gospel City Church. That highlight is from a sermon that we heard earlier this summer from the message, The Prayer of Promise. Next, Pastor Trent took us to the heart-wrenching moment when God told Abraham to kill the son of the promise, Isaac. It was a test for Abraham and by extension, a test for us. The first test question is, do you love anything more than God? God is going to ask Abraham that question. This is an idolatry test to see whether or not Abraham loves God most. We can't be followers of Christ if there's anything we love more than God. And we are tested every day on whether or not that is true. Should you love your son? Yes. Should you love your wife? Yes. Should you love them more than God? No. And a son or a wife or another person or a career or yourself is a horrible way to find your identity, significance, and worth. That you love them so much that you love them as an idol of your heart. Mark it down. Your heart is going to love something. And God knows we can't fully follow him if we love anything more than God. But it's more than just this. God wants all of those loves on the altar. God wants to know who comes first. Here's the second question on the test that God gave Abraham. And it's a question for us as well. Will you worship God even when you don't know what he is doing. Well, God kept his promise alive. And hundreds of years later, Abraham's descendants found themselves slaves in Egypt. They were wondering if God was really going to keep his promise. And from that story, 
Pastor Trent showed us some key points along what he called the path of the promise. God is calling us, get out of Egypt. You're not designed to live there. God never intended you to live there. You're not intended to live under slavery. You are designed to be free and live in a promised land. And so if you as a people will understand your burden, your bondage, your slavery, and cry up in your groaning, God will call you out. Well, generations passed, and the promise once again seemed to be threatened, this time by a huge warrior named Goliath. Here's Pastor Trent again. Did you win every battle this week? No, how many of you lost a battle this week? How many of you fought, just how many of you turned and ran in the other direction when you saw the giant? You're like hiding now. You're like, you are not David. You are Saul. You are dismayed and afraid, and you should be, because there's no way you can win this fight against your greatest enemy. So how should you read this story? You need to confess, Lord, I can't win. I need a champion to go fight for me. Well, we're reviewing just a few key moments from our current series on Resonate. The series is titled Epic. And as we continue, Pastor Trent Griffith went on to explain that there's a climax in the Old Testament. It's when King Solomon built a beautiful temple to the Lord, the God of Israel. And it is a choice that God has made to come to where we are and make a way for us to know him. God longs to make himself known. And God invites you to meet with him. But then everything seemed to unravel and nobody knew what was going to happen to the promise. And when Solomon was old, sadly, he did well as a young person and he was very foolish as an old person. And when he was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father, David. We read that story and we get the image of these wives bringing these little statues. And and Solomon, maybe to appease them, bows down and worships them in some way. And and we look at that and say, that's so primitive. And there's probably people that still do that over in Africa or Nepal somewhere. And I'm so glad that we live in America where we're so much more advanced in our idolatry. So all throughout the Old Testament, the burning question is this. It appears the promise is about to die again. Is God going to keep his promise? So many times it seemed like the flame was about to be snuffed out. And then, amazingly, miraculously, God kept it alive. So the fire of the Lord fell. Then verse 39, and all the people saw it. And they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. All these messages that we heard today, they're available to you right on our website, mygospelcity.org slash resonate. Well, last week, Pastor Trent began showing us the hope and the excitement that God's people felt as they returned to rebuild Jerusalem. So let's listen to the conclusion of that message, The Promise Returns. Here's Pastor Trent. 
So for you and I here this morning, thousands of years removed from that, what does the Lord want us to learn? Well, the first thing is this, when you are set free, return to your home. When you are set free, return to your home because we are exiles. And the greatest temptation you and I will face is to be absorbed and assimilated into a world to which we do not belong. I am on a mission to keep Christianity weird. I do not want to be assimilated or normalized. If people start thinking we're normal, then we have not accomplished our mission. When God sets you free, go home. Here's the second thing. When you feel like a remnant, return to your hope. Skip down to verse four. Ezra's praying. Ezra's giving a commentary. Something great happened in verse four. Then all who trembled at the words of God of Israel... Because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifices. So again, there was a remnant of people who trembled at the word of God. Do you understand that's the only appropriate response to the word of God is to tremble? Not to contemplate, not to study, but to tremble. Skip down to verse six. He begins to pray. Oh my God. I am ashamed and I blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. Ezra was ashamed at the sinfulness of his people because Even though the temple had been rebuilt, even though the people had returned to the land, their hearts were still far from God. He goes on in his prayer in verse 8. But now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant. Underline remnant. To give us a secure hold within this holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving. Just a little, just a a seed, a mercy drop of reviving. A small window of opportunity through which we can access the promise of God. He goes on in verse 9. For we are slaves, yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some, not all, some reviving for three purposes. To set up the house of our God, to repair its ruins, and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. God always has a remnant. Do you know what a remnant is? A remnant is a minority. And if you're a Christian, you will understand our strength will never be in our numbers. Jesus said the gate is narrow. Why is the gate narrow? Because there's not a lot of people that need to get through. We will always be a minority. And yet God has given us a remnant. I know school is starting soon. No amens this morning. (laughs) 
School is starting. may have already started for you. Do you understand that as you walk back into that school, you're going to be the minority. You're going to be the remnant. But God loves to use remnants to prove the promise is not dead. And so be a part of the remnants. Stand alone. Don't be absorbed. Live distinctly Christian lives. Keep Christianity weird wherever you are. And when you would live like a remnant, when you feel like a remnant, return to your hope. Here's the last thing. When you are disappointed, return to the promise. Now, I want you to flip back. I know I'm just, we're surfing a little bit here. Go back to, ver- go back to chapter 3. See the little episode here. Now we're back in the era of Zerubbabel. What did Zerubbabel rebuild? He rebuilt the temple. And that story, you're going to love this if you're an engineer or construction worker. Look at verse 10. Ezra 3.10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priest in their vestments came forward. Think of Micah in a camouflage shirt and a hat on backwards. Came forward with their trumpets and their electric guitars. And Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively praising and giving thanks to the Lord. And it gives us the lyrics of the song. For He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. That was the same song they had sung 70 years earlier in the temple, before it was burned, before it was destroyed. Now they're singing, singing it again. Hope is alive. We have every reason to believe the promise is going to be fulfilled Verse 12, but many of the priests and Levites and the heads of the father's houses, notice, old men who had seen the first house wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout and the sound was heard far away. Do you understand what was happening? There was a generation of old men who had been 20-somethings when they were taken captive. Now these old men are remembering what it was like when they were in their 20s and they went to worship in the first temple. And they looked at the second temple and they were so disappointed. It was so underwhelming. Why? Because they knew something was missing. Do you know what was missing? The glory was missing. Do you remember when the first temple was dedicated? We studied this. Solomon dedicated it and what happened? The glory of the Lord, the presence, the manifest presence of God so saturated the temple that the priest couldn't even minister. All they could do was just fall on their faces in worship. The presence of God was so thick in that place. The glory was so glorious. And now the old men remembered what it was like to be young men in the presence of the glory. And they knew it was gone. 
Now the young men, they see this and they think this is awesome. They're going through the motions. They're singing the songs. But the old men knew the glory was gone. Listen, if you have ever seen the glory, you will never be content to live without it. And if you've ever seen the glory, you know when it's gone. May it never be that we come into this building and be content to go through the motions, to sing our songs, to pray our prayers, give our offerings, and walk out of here without experiencing the manifest presence of God. The old men were disappointed. And this, this whole story ends so strangely. Now remember, we are reading the last stories of the Old Testament. The book starts out with so much hope. The people return. Zerubbabel rebuilds the temple. But what do we find? After Zerubbabel rebuilds the temple, the glory is still missing. It's so strange. Later on, we read that unqualified priests were actually going through the motions. They never should have been in there in the first place. You remember the second leader, Ezra, who rebuilt the people? Well, after he rebuilds the people by teaching them the word, their hearts are still hard and they still stray from God. So much so that there's one of the strangest stories in the Old Testament about how Ezra, realizing that they had intermarried one another, they never should have been married to these people with foreign gods. Do you know what he tells them to do? He tells them to get a divorce. Divorce. That's his solution. So what is he doing? He's trying to impose external boundaries to try to force the hearts of people to worship God. Now, the key to understanding it is this. What is the last book in your Old Testament? Malachi. So Malachi is a contemporary with Ezra. The history book of Ezra and the prophecy book of Malachi happen at the same time in history. So Malachi is actually speaking to the conditions in, that are being described in Ezra. And do you know what Malachi says? He says God hates divorce. And he tells them why God is not listening to their prayers and receiving their sacrifices. Do you know what he says? He says, the reason he's not listening is because you have forsaken and been unfaithful to the wives of your youth, even though she is your companion by covenant. What was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. And he's given you a helper so that you can become one in spirit. So Malachi actually condemns what Ezra implemented. It's so strange. Ezra rebuilds the people, but he's so frustrated with the people, he tries to force external religion on them to, to somehow get their hearts right. It's weird. And then who's the other guy? Nehemiah. You know how that goes? Nehemiah rebuilds the wall. He gets a whole book. And uh, we kind of celebrate Nehemiah as this great leader and great champion. Did you read the last chapter? 
This is the concluding chapter of the Old Testament chronologically. You know what it says? Nehemiah is so mad that people are setting up a marketplace on his wall he rebuilt. He starts chasing the people. It literally says that. Cussing at them, beating them up, and pulling their hair out. Old Testament ends. And with that, God goes silent for 400 years. It's so disappointing. So what do we have at the end of the Old Testament? We're still waiting for the promise. After Zerubbabel rebuilds the temple, the glory's still missing. After Ezra rebuilds the people, their hearts are still hard. And after Nehemiah rebuilds the wall, a king still isn't on the throne. So what do we need? We need to see some glory. We need something that can change the hearts of men. And we need a messianic king that people would follow because of his glory. So you'll have to come back next week to church to find out where we're going to find all that. (laughs) Bow your heads. Can I ask you, have you strayed away from home? Have you run away? You want to come back home? Why don't you tell him that right now? Are you disappointed? It's like, man, this world just doesn't leave a lot of hope. Everything I've tried just seems like to leave me longing for more. It's because you were made for another home. Why don't you confess your sin to him? Would you ask him to stir up maybe even just a little reviving this morning to pull you back to the place you belong. Lord, today, thank you that you have a remnant of people whose hearts are bent towards you. Thank you for the favor that even as we look around to a a full church building, we know that we're still a remnant God, would you preserve the deposit of faith that you put within each one of us? I pray that we would leave out of here committed to live distinct lives, refusing to be absorbed by this world. And God, put within us a hope for a king, a better king, more glory, and hearts that are bent towards you. pray in Jesus' name. Pastor Trent has been praying that we would resist that pull to be assimilated into the world to which we do not belong. Are you a part of the remnant? Are you a member of the people of God, His church? I hope that this weekend you can worship Him well in your local church. And if you're looking for a local body of believers to be a part of, why don't you look up Gospel City Church? In fact, why don't you visit Gospel City for a worship service? Our main campus is in Granger, but we also meet in Elkhart County. For more information about service times and locations, just go to mygospelcity.org. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. 
And be sure to follow us on Facebook by searching for Gospel City Church. Well, next week on Resonate, Pastor Trent will show us how this all ties together. These stories in the Old Testament are there for a reason. He'll explain what that is, and he'll demonstrate how the Apostle Paul used these stories in his preaching as well. I hope you'll join us for that. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's Word would resonate in epic proportions in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio and podcast ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.